So Money Episode 683, Ask Farnoosh, with special co-host Adi Adewusi. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome back. Happy 2018 again. Can you believe it? We are now 2018. I'm an 80s child. So uh, when they would talk about like 2000, whatever, it was like so futuristic. There were aliens on the planet and robots. We're almost there. I think they just cited some UFOs or the Pentagon has actually admitted to having a whole category of research on this uh, on this phenomenon like we always knew. And robots are almost a thing of uh, the future. Anyway, thank you for joining me. As always, it's Friday. It's been a crazy month. I just got back recently from vacation with my family. We took uh, the first week of January off. Normally, people take time off between, say, Christmas and New Year's. But here's a so money tip. Don't travel during that week because you will save a lot more money if you just wait another week to go to a sunny destination. I was trying to plan a trip for our family to, you know, maybe Florida, nowhere super fancy, just a quick hop over on a plane ride. And uh, hotel rates were, I think, triple what the uh, typical rate is during the uh, holiday, I guess, between holiday week. So we just thought, you know what, let's just stay put and go on January 1st. And so we just got back from Turks and Caicos. It was an all-inclusive resort, beaches. It was highly recommended by parents because it's super child-friendly. And uh, we had a really great time. So back to the grind, as they say, but it's a good grind. And we have a lot of questions to tackle, as always. And to help me, we have a an avid listener joining who is also very so money. She's got a, a website called maddiemoney.com. This is just a passion project on the side. She's got a great full-time gig. So I want to bring on the stage our co-host for this Friday, Addie Adewusi. Addie, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on the show. I'm such a fan. Thank you. I, we were talking before we were live and you had mentioned that you started joining the podcast, listening to the show two years ago. How did you discover it? I Googled, you know, classic uh, personal finance podcast. And then I wanted to listen to women led business and money podcasts. And that's how I found you. Wow. All right. So I don't have an SEO person, but I'm glad that that Google search was fruitful for me and you. Um, you, Addy, uh, I understand you went to Dartmouth. You studied math, economics, studio art. You uh, have always been a hustler, so to speak. You've been supplementing your income since college. You had a pet care side gig. Now you work in e-commerce, e-marketing rather for a luxury fashion company? No, it's actually um, glassware and pottery. Glassware and pottery. Is it luxury? I, I, why do I think it's luxury? It Something luxury. It's very okay. expensive glassware and pottery. <laughs> nice. And you uh, have maddiemoney.com. Tell us about that. Well, um, after I graduated college and, you know, my student loans kicked in, I was really motivated to pay them off. But and it 
I did in about 18 months. November 1st was my debt-free day. Nice. And, um, but what I noticed along the way is how much I had to change in terms of my mindset and lifestyle in order to achieve these goals. It was just so different from what I knew friends my age were doing. And I wanted to document that process and share my experience. So it started as just a blog. And then I recently, in the past few months, started doing a weekly newsletter. And now I have a Facebook group and I have YouTube videos. And it's just really fun, a, a great way for me to give back. So... And probably just to stay on track with your own goals. And I'm curious when you said that you had to change your mindset a little bit. And what 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 does that mean? Like what were what was the shift? And um, how were your friends, you know, managing money or not managing money? Um, well, so like I said, I you know I went to Dartmouth, so you know pretty much people go there because they want to make a lot of money, right? And um, And I feel like there's this pressure to show how well you're doing. And I was in a situation where instead of moving to New York City or San Francisco, I ended up finding a good gig in Hanover, New Hampshire, which is where I was, where the college is. And just thinking like, oh, well, I should have a nice car. I should have a new car. You know, I have a salary. I should be, that's what people do, right? And, but if I wanted to pay off, that would like double my student loans or my double my whole debt load. And also just being in school, we got all our meals through swiping our ID cards and, you know, so changing and, and basically training me to eat out. And in order for me to pay off my debt, I needed to cook for myself, which I just didn't even have the ability to do while in college. And I also had to learn how to say no to my friends. You know, there's always a trip to go on. There's someone getting married. uh, There's a dinner. And I had to trust that my friendships were going to last, even though I couldn't make that dinner. And I replaced those, you know, more expensive events with saying, hey, let's talk on the phone. Let's uh, get a cup of coffee. And so, so many things had to change. And that's what I try to talk about on Maddie Money. I love the honesty. And you're right. It's hard because uh, money is involved in friendships to some extent. You want to go out and experience things together. And were other friends receptive to it? Were you saying, you know, I want to, I can't make the dinner because I'm trying to pay off my student loans? Or did you keep that to yourself? I was very open about it. And some friends were like, you're, you know, you're over the top. And some friends were really supportive. And I think once I got closer to the goal and eventually paid off my debt, my friends started looking and saying, oh, wow, that actually paid off. And Mm -hmm. so maybe the people who were teasing me a little bit, uh, they realized, oh, they can learn a lot. And so everything comes around. And if they're real friends, they'll be there. I didn't lose any friends because of it, fortunately. That's good. That's good. And so congrats on uh, paying down those student loans. What was the, what was the total on those, on those loans? The total was 28,000. 28,000. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Great. Congratulations. And so now what can I help you with? Is there anything on your money mind that you're grappling with? Yes. Yeah, so Right now, so it's been 
a month and a half since paying off my student loans. And the next thing I wanted to do was build up my emergency fund to mm. three to six months of expenses. And so for me, that would be about $10,000. However, I am driving a clunker car right now. I mean, it's it's a Subaru. I live in Vermont and you know it has all-wheel drive, so it's great, but it has 250,000 miles on it. And I have to get oil fill-ups every other week. Like it's one of my windows doesn't go all the way up. It's just like the the classic beater. <laughs> and I'm thinking, do I want to save up to get a car first or do I want to save up for my emergency fund? And keeping in mind, I'm not contributing to my retirement right now because I wanted to pay off my debt first and then I wanted to save my emergency fund. So the Mm. plan was to save my emergency fund, then start contributing my 15% to retirement and then save up for a car with whatever's left. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. What age are you? I'm 27. You're 27. And do you have side income from your job as outside of your day job? Not right now. Okay. And you feel that your paycheck that currently you bring home is not enough to dabble in all of these goals to some extent. So maybe, you know, you could do a little bit of everything. I don't know. Is that possible? Well, it it is enough. However, I was able to make the reason why I was able to progress so quickly is because I was focusing on one thing at a time. Um, however, I, I could I could start contributing to retirement, but I don't know. It's it would just be so different from what I've been doing for the past eighteen months that yeah, I, I I just wanted to hear what some other options were. Well, I'm a big fan of the hybrid approach to to your financial goal setting and goal achieving. You know, I, I don't think it's a zero sum game. I don't think, you know, you, you have to always think of it that way. Certainly your paycheck has its limitations and you have costs that you may not be able to adjust that are eating up a lot of your paycheck. But, you know, the car situation to me sounds very serious. I mean, your car is your way to get to work. It's a way, it's a, it's a, there's a safety issue there too. If your doors aren't working properly, if it's a clunker, like how safe is this? If your car isn't in such bad shape, your insurance is probably higher than it needs to be. Um, and so, you know, uh, gosh, I would say that does your company offer a match in the 401k? If I contribute 6%, they will match, I believe, 3%. Okay. So can you do 6% into your 401k? Do 6%. Do that because that start there because that's free money and I want you to be able to take advantage of that. Plus, that's a tax deduction for you as well. So you can make up for a little bit of uh, that expense in the form of tax savings. Um then you said you need $10,000. You don't need that overnight, you know, but maybe you could start to put away, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars a month, perhaps. Um, well, so right now my savings is like about $1,000 a month. Okay. So what do you have in your savings account? Um, well, since I only recently paid off my debt. It's a few thousand dollars. 3000 mm-hmm. right now. 
All right. So I would say that you could dial that down a little bit, maybe to a $500 a month. Um, then because you're 27, if you lose your job, you're not going to be out of work for six months. That's my sense of things right now. It's not taking millennials six months to find work. Um, it may take only two or three months depending on, you know, where you want to land and maybe some of your connections. So you don't need necessarily a whole. And I've had financial advisors on the show who work closely with millennials saying, you know what? Yes, yeah, six to nine months is great for the majority of people. But when you're in your 20s and you're, um, you know, you're highly employable because you went to Dartmouth and you know, you're smart and you have great work experience, it's probably not going to take you half a year to find a replacement job or to get start making some money somehow. Um, so you don't have to go ape crazy with the savings account right now. If also you have to pay attention to the 401k that you haven't started yet. And also the fact that you need a new car soon. Um, so start to maybe put 500 towards savings. You could even do less. You could even just maybe take a pause and to that and put, start move a thousand dollars over to another account, which will be money for maybe a down payment on a car in the next, if you do a thousand dollars a month for the next six to eight months, that's a good chunk of money to put down on a new car. Let's say you want to buy a car for these days, you get a pretty standard, good car for like 25 grand. You could even, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of leasing, but um, if well, I definitely don't want to go into debt again. So I would be paying in full cash. Okay. So, I mean, can your car last another year? I think so. I mean, a past inspection, you know, it's not. Okay. It's not yeah. a dangerous, right. <laughs> it's not a danger to your, your livelihood and others. Go up, but that can be fixed. All right. So save $1,000 a year. I'm sorry, a month for the next 12 months and then go buy a nice used car. Mm-hmm. Okay. In cash. Um, contribute 6% to retirement. And then anything else you have at the end of the month, put it in savings. Okay. But automate those two things. I think um, that way, you know, you've already done a good job of getting up to about 3000 in savings. When you get your tax refund, that could be something that you could allocate more towards savings. Yeah, definitely. Maybe more towards the car. So you have some lump sums coming in. Maybe you get a bonus. Maybe you get, maybe you start a side gig at some point. Maybe you get some birthday money. That can all go into savings. But always from your salary, put money towards that car savings account and 401k. Okay. Thank you. That's my, that's my in the spot, um, put, put on the spot advice. Um, that's what I would do. Anyhow. All right, let's tackle let's tackle some of our listeners' questions. We have Alex here who's got a question that she recorded for us. So let's play this out and uh, see how we can help her. Hi, Farnoosh. This is Alex. I'm 32 and my husband is 40. He has 200K in retirement accounts and I have 400K. Since hypothetically he's retiring eight years faster than I am, should we focus our cash flow into catching up his retirement accounts than mine? He makes 75K a year and I make 90K. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Alex. So Addie, she and her husband have an age gap. She uh, is 32. Her husband is 40. Funny enough, she has more in retirement than he does. And so she's wondering, uh, basically, you know, should he play some catch up in his retirement account? Um, He makes a little bit less than she does, 75 versus 90,000 a year. And let's take a step back. I have often 
shared this rule of thumb for retirement savings, which is that by 40, you may, I've, I've read this, this isn't me calculating this. This is uh, some of the major financial institutions uh, offering this as, um, as, a, as a guideline. It's not uh, a hard and fast rule, but by 40, you should have something like two to two and a half, three, three times maybe your annual salary. So if he's making 75 a year and uh, he's 40, then let's do some quick math. That is $225,000, which he pretty much has. He has about $200,000. So Alex, I'm not sure if your husband is that far behind, but again, I don't know when he wants to retire. Um, I don't know uh, what kind of lifestyle he envisions in retirement. Does he plan to work a little bit? Does he plan to collect social security right away? Does he want to move to a place where there's a lower uh, state tax rate? And so these are the questions that will make the answer for you a little more tailored and catered. But since I don't know a whole lot about them other than what she shared, I would say that I wouldn't be too nervous about where he is, where he is with his savings. Although if there is an opportunity to put more into his retirement account, if there's more money left over uh, from each paycheck, certainly not a bad place to put it. Especially if like with you, Addy, the company offers a match, he makes sure he's taking advantage of that full match potential. What do you think, Addy? Any uh, advice for Alex and her husband? Yeah, I definitely agree that I wouldn't be panicked over this situation, especially it sounded like in the question she wanted to stop contributing to her fund and build up his fund. And, you know, even if he does want to retire at the minimum of 62, that's still 22 years and he may not be ready to retire. And I I just I don't like the idea of neglecting retirement for a hypothetical um, so, and also, I mean, not to get morbid, but, you know, men also, well, I'll put it in the positive way. Women live longer than men. <laughs> right. Uh, so it, she will need more money than him. She will need more money. Exactly. So, yes. And I don't think that this is a question of, um, stopping what you're doing, Alex, right. And, uh, putting more focus on your husband's retirement account. I think that you should stay the course and he should stay the course. Do what, you're, do what you've been doing. And if there is any concern about whether you'll have enough, run some calculators. There are a number of calculators free available online at sites like choosetosave.org, aarp.org or .com, or maybe it's .gov. I don't remember always the the uh, that part of the, the URL, but that's essentially the, um, you know, the the AARP website. And then there's also the social security website, ssa.gov. There you can figure out what your estimated social security payments will be, depending on when you start to collect them, whether that's 66 or 70. And that may actually give you some more relief because you'll see, oh, we have these, you know, these fixed income options that are coming through and based on where we live and how we'll be downsized. Maybe you won't have a mortgage by then. You won't have car payments. You won't have to, you know, you won't be supporting children if, if you have children now. All of that will help to uh, reduce your monthly living expenses. And the, the recommendation for withdrawals from retirement accounts starting around, you know, 62 years old, 60s is about 4%. So if you have a million dollars by 62, 60 years old, 4% a year, that's $40,000. Um, is that going to cut it? And if not, then 
you may want to start to uh, work towards a higher goal. All right. Nicole also left a question through SpeakPipe. And by the way, this is a really handy tool on the somoneypodcast.com website. You can just click on it. You can um, click on Ask Farnoosh. You have the option of leaving a voicemail or typing in your questions. Nicole has left a voicemail. Here we go. Let's take it away. Hi, Farnoosh. This is Nicole. I really enjoyed the episode with the estate planning attorney. My question is... Are there any recommendations for resources to prepare me as a single woman with no children and no plans to have children uh, before I go and speak to an attorney to better educate me and better use that time with the attorney? Thanks so much. All right. So Nicole is a single woman. She has no children. She's thinking about her estate. She doesn't have plans to have children. Um, you know, my, my belief is that with regards to estate planning, there, there are a few things, right? You want to look at when you're planning your quote unquote estate, it's life insurance, it's your will and your healthcare proxy. Uh, the life insurance component, Nicole, for you, probably not not as urgent as somebody who does have children or plans to have children. In other words, plans to have dependents, you know, life insurance is the sort of thing that you want to get in the event of a, of a worst case scenario. And you have people who are depending on you for your income, for your assets, for your finances. So if you have a spouse, if you have children, if you have parents that are, um, you know, that you're supporting, then certainly life insurance is something that you want to, to get, but uh, that is not something that you probably need. And I would just say that because when you go talk to an estate planning attorney, depending on that person, they may try to push you towards, steer you towards certain things. A good one will probably recognize what I just did and say, you don't need life insurance policy. But somebody who is um, maybe looking to make more money off you would say, yeah, 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 you need to get life insurance. And so just know that, that, that Farnoosh said you probably don't need it based on the lifestyle that you have. Although if you plan to take care of family uh, financially, then, then certainly something to bring up. But what you told me is definitely something to bring up to this attorney, that you are single, no children, no plans to have kids. With everything else, your will, I, yes, I think that that's something that everyone should look into having and updating as your life evolves. So when you, Nicole, go to talk to this estate planning attorney, where you are today is going to be different than where you are in 10 years. So questions to ask are, you know, um, how do I go about adjusting this will? Um, is it, how simple is it? You know, maybe based on how simple your estate planning needs are, you don't have to pay that much, you know, um, explain the simplicity of like, if you just have your house, your car and some assets, some jewelry. You probably don't need to pay a lot of money for this estate plan based on the simplicity of your lifestyle. The fact that you don't have a huge family yet, uh, you don't have maybe a lot of stuff that you want to include, itemize in this will. Um, but certainly ask about what the what the revisions, what those costs are, how often you should be doing them. And a good estate planning attorney is one who asks you a lot of questions, just like a good financial planner is one who really wants to know who you are, what are your goals, where are you headed? 
And if you are in a meeting with somebody who is just talking up a storm about what they do and how they do it and how great they are, uh, you know, that may be a a red flag. Uh, I would like for that to be balanced with questions towards your needs. And so be very focused on that, Nicole. Any other thoughts, Addie? Yeah, well, I'm in the same boat. And I actually went back and listened to this episode because of course, I skipped over it because I'm single and have no kids and didn't think it was relevant (laughs) for me. So I applaud Nicole for being ready to take some action. Only thing I thought of was just, you know, cataloging uh, all your physical and digital assets. Mm -hmm. So you know, you know, because that just saves a lot of time in the conversation. It's like, this is what I have, you know, this is what I'm concerned about. This is what I want to protect. Yes. And less time at the meeting, maybe less money (laughs) spent. Just like when you go to see an accountant, if you have all your documents organized in a folder, ready to go, that's less time for them. That's fewer meetings back and forth. And depending on how they charge their, if they're hourly or whatever, that could uh, save you a lot of money. Good advice. That was a really good tip, Addy. Thank you. Okay. Elena wants to know, Addie, (laughs) career development or having a baby, which should I prioritize at 31 years old in 2018? Any thoughts on how to approach this dilemma? Well, first (laughs) of all, it's not a dilemma. That's the first thing I want to say. Let's look at this as an opportunity, right? This is your your God-given ability to have a baby, hopefully, and, you know, your own talents to advance in your career, I think, I wonder, you know, in my 20s, I did think about it as either or, as sort of this zero sum game. Like I can't do both at the same time, at least not in the same year. I can take a break, come back. Honestly, Elena, don't stress. Do your career. Have the baby. Let the chips fall into place. You know, you'll figure it out along the way. Build the plane as you're flying it. Yes, there are a lot of things that you should plan for when you're having a baby and you want to get some kind of expectations met as far as how you want to raise this child while having your career. Make sure uh, you have maybe some money set aside for childcare or that you know how you're going to afford it if you plan to go back to work right away. But be true to yourself. That's my advice. Like If you want to go full steam ahead with your career and have a child, be be honest about that. Don't be uh, apologetic about it go for it. I was just interviewing Katya Beecham, which was actually our first episode of the new year. You may have listened to it. If not, definitely go back, Elena, and listen to that episode because Katya is the co-founder of Birchbox, which is this multi, you know, multi, multi million dollar profitable business that she started in college. And since then, she has actually her MBA program at Harvard. And then since then, you know, has had three children, got married, had three children, turned the company profitable. How did she do it? And how does she recommend other women do it? She's got some great advice. Basically, I summarized it by saying, don't be apologetic. Um, Believe that you can have it all because that is an amazing thing. And why do we feel awkward or insecure or, or silly talking about how we want it all and that we want to have it all? She's like, have it, want it, do it. You know, it's easy for her to say maybe to some, to some extent because she has resources and she has a nanny and she has a team. But I think that it's great advice. It's a great mindset to have. And no matter what, I mean, just to calling this a dilemma, no, 
take that out of your vocabulary, at least in this context. And I know that you, Addie, are uh, not 31 yet, not in your 30s yet, but how do you approach thinking about all of this as far as how you may want to you know, be a parent one day? I don't know if you have those desires, but also pursue your career. Do you feel it, that it is a huge trade-off necessarily? Well, I think it changed when I got my first like real job and was on my first business trip. I read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg and she talks about how women can we can sometimes sabotage ourselves by making career decisions about having children or starting a family before we're even in a relationship. And um so that made me think like whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but Regardless, I need to be able to provide for myself and provide provide for my future family. And I also feel like career development is such a broad term. I feel like I develop my career by listening to podcasts and reading books and, you know, staying abreast of what's going on in the industry. It doesn't necessarily mean going to graduate school or, you know, something that starting a company. Yeah, exactly. So and I so I agree that both can happen at the same time. I do feel that pressure a little bit at 27. Um, you know, if you want to have kids a traditional way, it's like, well, first you need to meet somebody and <laughs> know them and then marry yeah. them. And um, I'm just, I'm kind of taking a step back from that right now. I'm actually in a year of celibacy, which is like a crazy thing to do at 27. But I, I feel like I needed to focus on my relationship with myself and not necessarily just career, but just, you know, just establishing a foundation and mm. so solid roots within myself before I jump in and try to start a family. I really respect that. That is, uh, that is a really, I mean, for you, it sounds like it's the right choice. And I think you're going to learn a lot about yourself in the year. Uh, so Elena, I will say this too, as a woman who's now approaching 40 and I had my kids, you know, starting at 34 through age 37 and, you know, I I had a miscarriage. I have friends who had really, who struggled with fertility, who started to have, uh, who started to try to have children in their late thirties, although it's never too, it's not late by any means to have a child in your late thirties, but it's not as necessary. It's usually not as easy as like in your twenties and early thirties, just because of the way that our bodies mature. And so if you are in a, if you want to have this baby badly, um, don't wait to try, you know, that's, that's something that I have heard from older moms And, um, you know, having a baby, sometimes it'll happen on the first try. Sometimes it takes years and you won't know until you start. So, uh, and I will say also this, um, Nika Brzezinski, who is a, uh, co-host on morning Joe and veteran TV journalist anchor, and she's written books and she now has a whole, uh, you know, event around female empowerment. You know, she's been very uh, public about when she was in her career and working in television that, you know, she got fired one day unknowingly, like didn't know she was going to get fired, walking into work. She just got axed and it was very devastating to her. She had just gotten this job recently. It was very hopeful. And then on the way home, she remembers thinking to herself, well, I'm so glad I didn't forget to get married and have children. 
(laughs) Because your career can be great in one minute. It can be gone the next. It can be you're reinventing yourself. You know, it goes through a lot of stages and it's not always a straight line. It's not always a good day. Um, But your family is your rock, right? I mean, that is the, in my case, and um, nobody can replace your family. It's the kind of thing that at the end of the day on your tombstone, you know, what do you want it to say that uh, you were this amazing business person or that you were, you know, uh, if, if, for me, this is like, I would rather, I mean, although I love my career and I would, I just, I get so much pleasure out of working. I think that I don't want that necessarily to be like the ultimate legacy that I leave. I would rather it to be that I was this, um, impactful human who touched lives and was a great mom and a great partner. And those things I feel are, um, they, they, it's just, uh, more deeply meaningful to me. And so these are the kind of you know, philosophical questions you might want to ask yourself, not to get too deep, but I think that uh, those are the sort of things that I would be running through my head if I were you, um, as far as, you know, prioritizing. But this concept that maybe you have to take a step back in order to pursue one of those things, I think that's complete BS. And that is the kind of mentality that necessarily keeps women behind, right? So believe you can do it all, believe you can do it all well. And know that you have support. You ha- you you will find a community of people who will want to support you. Women, you know, especially in 2018. <laughs> for all the men who lost their jobs in 2017, for you know reasons why, I think that 2018 is going to be a great year for hiring women. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, don't hold back on either of those things, Elena. And um, I hope that you get to uh, finish the year, you know, with uh, with stating that you were able to to tackle both of those things like a champ. I actually have a great exercise for all of us um, as far as, you know, goal setting in the new year. And it was actually a friend of mine, Susie, who's been on this show before, Susie Moore, who texted me this at the end of 2017. And she said, Farnoosh, what will you be telling yourself? What are the three things you will be telling yourself at the end of 2018 that you will be saying as if they are fact that it happened? And so do this. It could be really fun. You know, maybe Elena, for you, it's, I got a promotion at work. I'm pregnant and, you know, I, uh, whatever the third one is just, just because the point of this exercise is to really reduce all those limiting beliefs that we have. And Elena, you know, you come to this question with, you know, this is a dilemma. That's a limiting belief. The The beliefs that are limiting are just the ones that you believe. There are no limitations in life. It's just what you believe. Um, at least that's what Susie believes and coaches people on and, um, I, I like to think that she's right. So, Addie, what are the three things you're going to be telling yourself in, in 2018, at the end of 2018? I got a new car. I started <laughs> contributing to my retirement and I doubled my income. Nice. It's, it's happening. See now, because you told me and you told all the, you know, tens of tens of thousands of people who listen to the show every day and we're going to keep you accountable to it. So... So congratulations. <laughs> okay. Lisa's question is, what advice do I have for a couple moving in together? Some expenses aren't so black and white. My partner also makes slightly more than I do. So our budgets are different when it comes to expenses outside of paying rent. Okay. So how do we essentially level the financial playing field as a couple with income disparity? And I don't think they're married. They're uh, moving in together, which is often the first stage. If you uh, you know want to get some 
practice in on how to manage your money as a married couple, this is now a good time to do it as a couple that lives together. And I talk about this in When She Makes More a lot. Um, and I, I would say, Lisa, that having a joint account would be helpful, keeping separate accounts for yourselves, but also having a joint account for those joint expenses that you both want to contribute to. Because you make different incomes, it's not going to be necessarily, I pay 300, you pay 300, I pay 400, you pay 400. It's probably better to do it as a percentage of your income. So if your, let's see, her partner makes slightly less. So depending on how much less, then that is how much less of a percentage he may contribute to the shared expenses. So if you both have want to chip in for rent and let's say rent is a thousand dollars a month, let's say you make 25% more than he does, then you might want to contribute 25% more to the rent uh, than he does. And so it's not an even amount of money, but it's an even percentage of money. What do you think about that, Addie? Does that seem fair? It definitely sounds fair. Um, this is uh, an issue that's very close to my my experience because I've I guess I've shacked up multiple times and learned the hard way some things. Um, I would actually just separate all bills and purchases, and whoever makes more uh, just pays the slightly higher bill, like mm-hmm. a cable bill versus internet, um, utilities, and heat. Someone buys the couch and someone else buys the TV um, just to protect yourself. If, you know, the relationship does end, at least you're you not cutting to- up a couch, right? Exactly. Well, exactly. that's a great point. And so that what I explained was one option where you do an equal percentage of common expenses. The other is what Addie just explained, which is that you guys decide what it is you want to individually cover as well as maybe jointly cover. So if rent is something you want to jointly cover because clearly you both share in it, it's easy to divide, easy to divvy up, great. But what about all the other things that come up? The cable bill, the new furniture, the food. Um, you know. So in those cases, perhaps you designate categorical expenses to each other. In my relationship, I it's no secret, I make more than my husband. I've written about it. I talk about it. Um, and what we have done again, because it's not just about what financially makes sense. It's what emotionally also works for the two of you. And that is different for everybody. So it's worth also exploring that part of the equation. What works best for us based on the income disparity, but also based on what we like doing and what works for us emotionally to feel as we are contributing, you know, in a significant way to the growth of this relationship and to the family, I cover much of the sort of day-to-day expenses um, and the recurring monthly expenses like the mortgage and um, gosh, what else? Uh, You know, food, usually groceries was on my credit card, things for the kids sometimes. Um, My husband, his designation is a lot of the savings. So he's tasked with saving into the 529 plans every month, both of them for both of our kids. He pays for vacations. He pays also for uh, the, the garage. Uh, you know, like we've, we've itemized certain things that he wants to cover because uh, it just is what he wants to do. And I'm fine with it. And 
as long as everything's getting addressed at the end of the month, we're good. And of course, along the way, he might buy me something really nice <laughs> and I might buy him something nice, you know, so we have our own separate accounts. We also have a joint account. Um, there's a t- there's hundred percent transparency as far as how we are spending, even in those individual accounts, we don't keep anything a secret. We, um, have the same accountant. We should file our taxes jointly. So, you know, this is our work. This is our system. Now, will it work for everybody? Of course not. But it's important to kind of look at not just what the tactical stuff is, and as, but also the emotional side of this. You know, what is it that you both would be happy with? I have a, another example to share of a woman who wrote in and said, I make a lot more than my husband, uh, but um, I really want him to pay up for the childcare. I want it to be a 50-50 thing because after all, it's our child and I don't feel like I should have to pay the brunt of it. She was obviously coming to this from an emotional place. Like this was really important to her emotionally. Um, she could afford it. So tactically, financially, it wouldn't have been a problem for her to cover it, but she just felt like the principle was what was she was focused on. And I said to her, look, if that's important to you, then that becomes the kind of where you start from your financial planning standpoint. If he's making a lot less than you, he can't cover everything that you're covering 50-50. But if you want him to cover this 50-50, then start there and then work your way down. So after he pays for this, what is left? And what can he then from here practically cover that covers it, but also he feels good about it and you feel good about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. I have a couple other suggestions. Um, if, If you can... Try and rent a two-bedroom. So if something happens with you guys, at least some the person who stays in the apartment can rent out the other bedroom and uh, doesn't have a financial disaster uh, on their hands. Also, making sure both your names are on the lease. So if you want to move somewhere else or you, you separate and rent elsewhere, you have that rental history as well. Um, cause I know sometimes it's the person who, you know, makes more, just puts their name on or someone moves into someone else's apartment and doesn't add them. Uh, so those are my other two suggestions. Very good. Yeah. I mean, moving in is a big move and this is a good time to talk about your finances. If you don't know how much he makes or his credit score or gosh, like what debts he has, this is the time to disclose it all. When my husband and I moved in together before we got married, we went out, got margaritas, took post-its and pens, wrote down all of our basic financial information, swapped and then toasted. Uh, Hopefully at this point, you know, about each other's stuff for the most part, but maybe, you know, it's time to really get down to the numbers. Addie, thank you so much. I We're going to stop here. We had one more question, but I'm going to save it for next week because I think it's a good time to, uh, to just wrap. That was a really great question. And I hope that we were helpful to you. Um, Addie, tell us more about how we can find you and hook up with you. Yes. So you can find me on Twitter at addyadawusi.com. Hopefully you're writing this in the show notes. It's, uh, it's to spell my name. Um, you can also email me at aadawusi12, the number one, two at gmail.com. And I, you can also check out Maddie Money, which is M-A-D-D-Y-Money.com. And you'll find all the ways to get in touch with me through there as well. 
All right. We will do it. MaddieMoney.com. All of this will be back at SoMoneyPodcast.com always. Thank you so much, Addie. Uh, looking forward to getting pictures of you in the new car. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. And let me know if like sub- submit your questions if you're like considering a few options, a few models. We'll, we'll crowdsource it for you here. And everybody else, please, if you have questions for me, you know what to do. SoMoneyPodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh. There also you can mention you want a co-host and hopefully get together. And in the meantime, I hope your weekend is so money. Money.